welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Liam West and I'm a member of the BGSM editorial team. You've tuned in to listen to the first of the two-part podcast series on the relatively new areas of research in the tendinopathy. I'm currently at La Trobe University in Melbourne, which is just one of the many fantastic research centres globally that are extending our knowledge and understanding this complex and frustrating pathology. So with me today, I have Sean Docking, who is a researcher that has been using ultrasound tissue characterization, or more simply UTC, to visualize changes associated with tendinopathy in 3D detail. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you, Liam. Very flattered to be asked to do this. Great. And it's going to be good to get into your expertise. So Sean, let's bring everyone up to speed. Can you explain what are the current current imaging modalities uh, for patients with tendinopathy? Sure, I'll just give a basic overview um, and I'll put the caveat on that I'm not a clinically trained physiotherapist or radiologist. I've done a lot of this sort of work through my PhD. Um, the, the most common for tendons would probably be grayscale ultrasound, um, just simply for its ease of use, convenience, and its ability to give us some immediate feedback on tendon structure. And predominantly what we're looking for on ultrasound is one thickening of the tendon, whether that's the whole tendon or a focal area of thickening. Um, So we get this sort of spindle shape of the tendon. Um, We're also looking for a hypoechoic area. So where we get nice aligned tendon fibers in a normal tendon on ultrasound imaging in a pathological tendon, we see these dark shadowy areas which indicate um, either a tear or a um, area of diso- disorganisation. We can also, with new imaging, uh, with new ultrasound components, we look for blood flow using Doppler, um, and that's generally confined to those areas of hypoechogenicity, just indicating where we get an infiltration of blood vessels. MRI is a little bit different, whereas ultrasound we get a two-dimensional image of the tendon. With MRI, we do get this nice three-dimensional perspective of the entire tendon. Again, we look for increases in tendon thickness and increase in tendon, uh, increases in MRI signal within the tendon, indicating an increase in water content and probably disorganisation of the fibres as well. Okay, perfect. But say a volleyballer comes into clinic and they've got raging patella tendinopathy of the left knee um, and we decide to scan the right as well and we find all of those changes but they're asymptomatic there. Why is that? I, th- I think this is our biggest issue with imaging, not only in tendinopathy but osteoarthritis, lower back pain. That, it, that What we find on imaging doesn't necessarily correlate with the patient's symptoms. Um, so all those changes I described um, previously, they can be observed in a completely asymptomatic person who has never had symptoms in their life. And where we are starting to go with imaging and where we would like it to progress is to start putting imaging within the clinical context of that patient. And one of the important points that we see and where the research is starting to lead us is that pathology on imaging doesn't correlate with pain, it seems to be a better indicator of someone who uses that tendon. So if you're a volleyballer who loads that tendon a lot, you are more likely to have 
changes in your patella tendon. If you are a runner who has run for 20 plus years, you are more likely to have pathology in your Achilles tendon. Now, while that disorganization or that pathology might put you at risk of having symptoms, it doesn't make it a fait accompli that you are going to definitely have symptoms. We are just in the middle of a study in Australian rules football players and about 40% of the abnormal patella tendons that we've seen are completely asymptomatic currently. So there really is this disconnect and one of the things that would be, I think we need to get better at is not only asking the, the uh, patient about their clinical history, but also asking what have exercises, what sports have they done throughout their life? Because that might allow us to put it in, uh, put their changes or imaging findings in context of the clinical picture. That's perfect. So I guess you're saying that everyone talks about you need to know what's normal to know what's abnormal. So maybe we need to actually rethink what is normal for imaging of tendons if they've been used a lot in jumping sports, etc. Especially in those sort of cohorts. So if you've got a patient who hasn't done a lot of jumping history or and they've just started a plyometric training session and they've got anterior knee pain and we see changes on their imaging, it's more likely that those changes are reflective of their symptoms. However, it's really difficult to differentiate in someone who is a jumping athlete whether that pathology is a new finding or something that's been there forever and whether it has any relevance to their uh, clinical symptoms. Great. History is key. So moving on to your work with UTC, uh, I guess two questions. First of all, what is it? And second, what clinical relevance do you see it potentially having for the future management of uh, tendinopathy? Um, so first of all, UTC was developed by Hans van Schie in the Netherlands, um, originally in horses. And what it allows us to do is get a three-dimensional ultrasound image of the attendant. At this stage, just the Achilles and the patella tendon. The other advantage of it is that it allows us to quantify tendon structure and remove our reliance on subjective interpretation. So we can get percentage values of how much aligned fibrillar structure there is and how much disorganized there is in it. Categorizes it into four different echotypes. While it allows us to quantify tendon structure, it doesn't seem to relieve some of those issues that we've talked about before. We still see abnormal findings on UTC that are not linked to the patient's presentation. So there is that limitation. But the fact that it does allow us to quantify, we can start to put together how structure fits into the clinical picture of tendinopathy. And a little bit of the research that we've done as a group is we looked at the, um, the volume or the main cross-sectional area of aligned fibular structure in normal tendons and pathological tendons independent of symptoms. What we found, which was really interesting, is that we found that the pathological tendon actually had more aligned fibular structure, more good structure, than a completely normal tendon. And that's probably the opposite of what a lot of people think that they, they their assumption would be that there's so much disorganization in the tendon that it overwhelms the healing capacity of the tendon and it fails. What we showed was that the tendon actually thickens up 
in response to pathology, which we've known for eons. But what we suggest is that thickening is probably an adaptive response to ensure that the tendon has enough of iron fibrillar structure. So for us, that's really exciting because it starts to suggest why a tendon can have pathology yet be asymptomatic. It's adapted to ensure it's got enough load-bearing structure in that tendon. And also can start to put together or allow us to start to understand why trying to get a pathological degenerative tendon back to normal, looking structurally normal, is probably not necessarily necessary to get clinical improvements. As long as we target our rehab at loading that good aligned fibular structure and get that to start acting like a tendon, in terms of remodeling and getting that tendon to look normal again, probably isn't necessary. And that's what a lot of the research based on conventional imaging is showing as well, that eight years post intratendinous surgery, you've still got an abnormal, terrible looking tendon on imaging, yet you're still back doing all the activity you want to do um, pain-free. That's perfect. So I guess it should be hopefully empowering the clinician to say, despite using conventional methods showing that there's the ultrasound with Doppler and showing there's uh, the neovascularization, etc., we should still be loading these patho well, I'll put in quotation marks, pathological tendons to try and get people better. And it's it's all around the context that we use it. Uh, and David Butler sort of with all this sort of uh, with his sort of stuff in terms of decatastrophizing stuff. Uh, injury in terms of us going oh no how horrible and how terrible that thick tendon looks what we should be saying is wow look how thick that tendon is you've adapted to make sure you have enough aligned fibular structure what you and I need to do as patient and clinician is ensure that we load it correctly minimize your pain but address all the other barriers that are stopping us getting you better, which is probably, uh, which was Ebony Rio stuff with the cortical changes and pain, with functional deficits that we see in these people. And structure really isn't our major barrier in terms of short-term, medium-term improvements in clinical symptoms. Perfect. Um, I know that you've got a really good little saying and teaching point to hammer this home and as a take-home for the listener, do you want to bring up to that point? Yeah, probably the low carb, high fat individuals probably hate this saying, but for tendons, it works really well. And I can't take full credit for this. This is one of Craig Purden's as well, but it's treat the donut, not the hole. So if we think about that with our tendon, where the donut component is the aligned fibular structure and the hole being the disorganization, what we see currently is that so many of our interventions are targeted at remodeling the whole. It's targeted at, so PRP, stem cells, shockwave, all these sorts of things seem to be targeting at remodeling that whole. Whereas what we'd say is that the tendon's been pretty clever. It's adapted, it's thickened up, it's given us enough aligned fibular structure the mainstay of any intervention that we give these people in terms of rehab for tendinopathy should be focused at the aligned fibular structure and addressing all those other deficits that probably 
are responsible for a greater clinical improvement. So while structure has a context in the clinical picture, as, we, as I said, that having an abnormal tendon means that you're about seven times more likely to have symptoms. It's a risk factor, but it's not a direct correlate. So really understanding that structure isn't un unimportant, it has a place, but that doesn't mean we need to address it to get our patient back to pain-free function. Perfect. I think treat the donut, not the hole is a perfect way to end on this. So thank you very much for your time, Sean. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to direct you, the listener, to the Revisiting the Continuum of Tendon Pathology article that was recently published in the BGSM. Whilst we've been talking about imaging, there's no doubt that the mainstay of rehab is exercise-based. So you've been listening to a condensed BGSM podcast with Sean Docking on the use of UTC and tendinopathy. You can find the full text of his work with UTC in the BGSM journal. You can also follow the BGSM on the app, Google+, Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and remember it's about the donut, not the hole.